Oh, I hope you are ready for the ugly truth. Now, I told you this was going to be an extended segment earlier. I am not going to apologize for the one hour, two minutes, and 11 seconds that you will spend listening and watching this conspiracy of conspiracies. Now, before we get started, I want to bring it all together for you, and then I'm going to turn Shannon Joy loose here. This video is by Shannon Joy. The full story is by Shannon Joy. All the credit to her for the story. She's titled this from Rumble, Kill Shot, the CIA's SV-40 Cancer Weapon. So I'm going to grab my tablet and I'm going to bring together about 10 different conspiracies all into one. So give me just one moment while I grab that. All right. If I told you that JFK, Lee Harvey Oswald, the CIA, Direct Energy Weapons, Castro, the Bay of Pigs, Cancer, Turbo Cancer, the American Cancer Society, the Trump stolen election, that's right, election fraud, all these conspiracies, JFK being killed, Castro's life being attempted seven times and failed, all of these conspiracy theories, even down to the Great Reset, Agenda 21, and now Agenda 2030. All of these things, every single thing that I pulled out of my little brain of all these conspiracy theories somehow have one ingredient in common? Are you kidding me? This was a major discovery this week as we put this research together. Please join us in the entire presentation of Shannon Joy's Kill Shot. CIA's SV-40 super weapon and good luck with what you end up believing about this because it is up to you to form your own opinion. We're simply presenting the material. Take a deep breath and let's get started. This is the kill shot one full hour. And then we'll come back and close with our Faith Matter segment. So don't go anywhere. I'm sure you won't after this. Let's listen in. Tales tonight on the 1963 assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. The alleged assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was involved in a CIA operation three months before the assassination. This project was said to be a covert CIA operation that was developing a top-secret vaccine and or a biological weapon. What they're doing is they're trying to kill Castro. I'm just a patsy. In 1963, the world was a powder keg ready to explode. With the CIA holding a match to fuses on every continent. From Vietnam to Cuba, clandestine operations were being waged to preserve a fascist new world order, which emerged from the ashes of the Third Reich. Assassination teams within the CIA had their eyes on two sitting heads of state. Fidel, a few years earlier, had survived an agency-led coup d'etat. The other head of state, President John F. Kennedy, had scuttled that attempted overthrow and pledged to dismantle the agency, which was already planning his demise. U.S. soil was no longer sacred nor safe from the murderous reach of the CIA, which now reached ambitiously into the heartland of America and into the bayous of New Orleans. Not me, however, I'm a, a, a communist. A young girl found herself caught up in a clandestine covert operation to eliminate Fidel Castro. 
This wouldn't be a shot heard around the world, but rather a silent shot of super cancer-causing poison derived from a monkey simian virus called SV40. A team of fascists hell-bent on defeating communism, directed by the CIA, was formed in New Orleans. This den of vipers included the head of the National Cancer Society, the FBI's former head agent in mafia-controlled Chicago, and a paramilitary instructor who would bring in a double agent named Lee Harvey Oswald. This tale has everything from murder, espionage, a tragic love story to bioweapons and the genesis of gain-of-function research. At the end of this, we'll have one dead doctor, multiple dead agents, and a dead president. I'm Shannon Joy. Stay tuned as I take you through the full story. I want to focus today on the six-month period that you spent in New Orleans conducting cancer research um, for, I mean, Dr. Alton Oshner was a leading researcher. He was the head of the American Cancer Society. Um, and it was by his invitation that you were brought to New Orleans to work under another internationally renowned sci cancer scientist, Dr. Mary Sherman. So that was the setting, but can you just tell us a little bit about your upbringing, growing up, um, how you were found and discovered by these researchers and you know nationally renowned scientists. What was it that you were doing in your childhood in high school that culminated in you know your your contribution in New Orleans at the age of 19, which was very young? Well, Knut Nicholson came to my uh, uh, high school. Yes. And I'm, I mean, I'm in ninth grade. He was a CIA geneticist working on radiation. So you attracted the attention of the CIA at a young age. Yeah, 15. They, they age saw 15. that you had scored a 160 IQ. Yeah. You were winning science fairs. You were conducting this right. cutting edge research as a 16 year old in a lab in your high school. And so they, they were aware of you, they knew that you were brilliant, they were interested in your research, the, you know, the, uh, your ability to give these mice cancer in seven years. Well, as a matter of fact, when they discovered I had given mice, the can, uh, uh, mice cancer, the kind mm -hmm. of cancer I gave them, lung cancer, yeah. it was very important because you had Dr. Deal, Dr. Moore, and uh, then Dr. Oxner, all three of them used to go around trying to get people to stop smoking. Right. And here I had given mice cancer, lung cancer, in seven days with cigarette products. The unprecedented increase in the incidence of cancer of the lung today is due to cigarette smoking. And so you kind of were adopted into the cancer research family, and Dr. Oshner played a, a role in that, in bringing you up to Roswell. So I want to move your story to Buffalo, New York. I was actually placed in Dr. Moore's own personal laboratory. Yes. Because uh, the work I was doing, actually they didn't duplicate it for another four years. Mm. So, um, and, and I was actually given the opportunity to work with, he was the director of the entire mm. thing. He ran 800 scientists right. and here I'm in his own lab, there are only five of us. Well, now what do I do with them? Well, just hold him because I wanted you and uh, Julia here to meet an important member of a team. What team? Well, the research team at Roswell Park Memorial Institute, for example. It's one of the foremost cancer research institutes in the country. Okay. And learn how to handle at Roswell SB40 monkey viruses. Yeah. I uh, learned how to identify everything under electron microscopes, you name it. But the main thing is I memorized what is now today called the RPMI 1640 formula. Okay, what is Fetal that? Fetal calf do? serum. Okay. Oh, what it is, is getting cancer cells to grow at certain times okay. uh, at certain rates. Okay. And by adding certain uh, additions, you can make them grow faster. Now, why would you want to do that? Well, they said it was to create the cure. But That's right. We can see how that can be used to create bioweapons. But they're bio still weapons. using yeah. it today because yeah. it's it grows cancer so well. You didn't like what you saw at Roswell. That's you right. you got the sense at Roswell that you were being used to potentially participate in experiments, 
that were potentially illegal experiments. Is that, I mean, as you move up to, to can you see how maybe people they saw were you being young? injected yeah. with cancer without their knowledge? Truthfully, uh, I was so excited and I, yeah. they, I, I was hero worshiping these people. Yep. And if they're into this, I should be, but there was something in my heart of saying, wait a minute, there's some problems here. Mm. It, 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 it caused some uh, serious problems with me uh, ethically, and I be, thought uh, I'm going to become a nun. And boy, they didn't like that. Well, this is where the Tangled story begins. It was this expertise and what she learned at the age of 17, 18 yeah. at, at Roswell that gave her this very, very unique knowledge and skill set that they needed in New Orleans. This is a special report from CBS News. Good evening, this is Walter Cronkite at CBS News headquarters in New York. Well, at its beginning, this day looked as though it might be one of armed conflict between Soviet vessels and American warships on the sea lanes leading to Cuba. The path we have chosen for the present is full of hazards, as all paths are. But it is the one most consistent with our character and courage as a nation and our commitments around the world. The cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. And one path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender. You know, in 1963, there were a lot of um, competing elements. You have the military-industrial complex, you have the quasi-deep state, the intelligence agencies, you have the mafia, uh, all of these uh, power brokers, including a medical-industrial complex uh, at the hands of Dr. Oshner and, yes. and his, his research. You have gain-of-function research essentially happening in terms yes. of cancer virus, and that's what the story of Dr. Mary Sherman. And all of this is culminating together. It's all happening in New Orleans in the summer of 1963. Upstairs in 1963, that was the Office of Naval Intelligence. We are standing in the heart of the United States government's intelligence community here in New Orleans. That's the FBI there, all right? That's the CIA. That's the Secret Service. That's the ONI. So Dr. Alton Oshner is headquartered in New Orleans. He is connected to the CIA, he's connected to the federal government, he's working closely with, the, he's getting NIH grants, he's getting government funding for research, he's able to start a hospital that services the elite down <laughs> Yes, in and he's also getting South money America. from big wig Texans, yeah. Yeah. and even, even from the mafia. So he's a medical doctor, but he's very political. Very political. Absolutely. And he needs you to come at 19 years old in the summer of 1963, just six months before the assassination of JFK. Yeah. He invites you to come to New Orleans and he dangles opportunity for you to work with Dr. Mary Sherman. Yes. Dr. Mary Sherman is, is also internationally renowned. She was an orthopedic surgeon but she specialized in bone cancer. Bone cancer in, in that research. Yes. And so you were to come to New Orleans and they offered you after this fellowship with Dr. Mary Sherman researching cancer. Remember, your goal is to cure cancer. That's right. As a young girl, that's what you've you've been and you just want to be around these people who are that are, are on the same path. Well they're gonna put and, me in Dulane Medical School two years and early. That, yes, and, and they were going yeah. you were going to be if you did this internship or this yep. fellowship, then you know, in the fall. You were accepted in Tulane Medi Medical yes. School and you are on your way. It didn't go as planned. <laughs> no. You end up in New Orleans at the invitation of Dr. Alton Ochsner. And he's not in town. And he's not in town because you show up two weeks early. You are separated from your fiance. He's going to come in two weeks. You two are going to get married, which you end up getting married in New Orleans to Robert oh, Baker. Yeah, but I wasn't but married when I met Lee Oswald. You weren't married. So this is <laughs> in the two weeks before Robert Baker came to New Orleans to claim his bride, you met Lee Harvey Oswald. You're standing in line at the post office. Yeah. You, uh, well, see, I, I come there every day hoping I'm going to get a letter from this guy who says he's going to come marry me. Mm -hmm. And I'm angry now because several days go by, I'm by myself, and where is he? Uh, and so I look behind me, this guy's standing there, he's cute, and <laughs> he's not got, doesn't have a wedding ring on, mm -hmm. on his left hand. 
And so I actually dropped something. And when he picked it up, I used Russian because I said, I mean, uh, well done, comrade. I thought that was a great opening line. Yeah. And I thought he'd say, what did you say? And I'd say, oh, don't you speak Russian? <laughs> Instead, he answered me in Russian. When I'm there, uh, he's got to take care of me. It seems, it seems that's what was really going on until the doctors got back. Mm. But he was not given enough information. They had this need to know. Yeah. So, I got so you, were in un, you were brought in to conduct very specific research. Yes. You were never supposed to know what you were doing. You were never supposed to know about any type of CIA op operation. I was never supposed to know and who Lee not, Oswald really you was. you were not supposed to fall in love with no. Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> he came, you ended up getting married in New Orleans, um, but he left for a job. So you did not see him very He very abandoned much. me yeah. the day after we were married. He was vanished. Yeah. I didn't even know where he was. And I was living in a place that got raided by the police and yes. kicked out of the street. Yeah. And all I had was Lee Oswald's number at that time. This yeah. is before the doctors got back. And so he helped set you up in another apartment and essentially just kind of guided you. You ended up getting to know him yeah. better. You are falling in love with him. You guys um, begin to express your feelings for each other. Judith took me on a tour to show me what her day-to-day -day life with Lee looked like. We went to the bar where Lee would watch news and drink cherry chocolate sodas with her. I've seen your face before. The bar even has a plaque by the seat where Lee sat. The bar was actually right down the street from the house where Lee stayed with his wife and baby. The house no longer stands, but we managed to find the original cast iron gate that once protected the home. From his house on Magazine Street, we took a quick bus ride to the house that Lee secured for her to live in during the operation. So we are at 1032 Marengo Street. This is ultimately where you ended up. So the memories here were happy. Oh, yes. That you're, you had a rough start in New Orleans well, and a rough end to New Orleans. Most yeah. of the time, wasn't even here. Serendipitously, yeah. a young woman came out to meet us who just happened to be around the same age as Judith when she and Lee planned their lives out together in this home. Hi. Hi. We're shooting a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wonderful. Oh, thank you, God bless you. The new resident lovebirds had no idea about the intimate and clandestine secrets these walls held. It was this one summer where so everything went down. Yes. Uh, well, he, no, he, no, I live here, but he often said that I here because we were lovers. That's crazy. <laughs> From that house, Judith and Lee would take another short bus drive to Riley Coffee House, where they both held cover jobs while the bioweapon was being brewed. From my research of Lee Harvey Oswald, it seems like he wore a lot of different hats. He yes, was, he did. He was utilized in many different ways by the CIA. It's kind of That's hard right. to pin down exactly. Because a lot of people would say, well, what's he doing in all these? Well, he was actually things? pretending to be pro-Castro. We have had members in this area for several months now. We have decided to feel out the public uh, what they think of our organization, our aims. And for that purpose, we have been distributing literature on the street. In the case of Lee Harvey Oswald, the official story is that he was a Marxist. You did admit that you consider yourself a Marxist. Oh, I would very definitely say that I, uh, I uh, am a Marxist. That is correct. But do we really know who he was, or what he believed, or where his allegiances truly lied? As we started piecing together this mystery, a new Lee emerged. An Oswald that history ignored. With no filtering or framing from historians or handlers, the eyewitnesses bring the pieces of the puzzle together in a brand new way. One key eyewitness, Carlos Bringer, served as a leader of an anti-Castro cell in New Orleans in the fall of 1963. Oswald presented himself as an enemy of Castro and an ally to Cubans like Carlos, but Carlos would soon catch Lee in a lie. I had the opportunity to meet Lee Harvey Oswald on four different times in New Orleans. The first time was when he tried to infiltrate the Cuban Student Directorate, that is the organization that I represent in New Orleans, Louisiana. 
When Oswald came to my store for the first time, he was explaining how he was against Castro. And he was asking in what way he could help us to fight against Castro. He was telling me that he would have been in the Marine Corps, that he had experience in guerrilla warfare, and that he can help us in the guerrilla fight against Castro. After that, when I turned down Oswald's offer, I found him in the street carrying on a rally in favor of Fidel Castro with a big sign in his chest reading Viva Fidel and hands off Cuba. Carlos and his men caught Oswald red-handed supporting Castro, their sworn enemy, and quickly surrounded him in anger. Police were called, and by chance or by instruction, the entire scene was captured on film. At that moment, I had a small fight with him, and I went to jail with him. One of the accidental extras on that day was New Orleans police officer Frank Wilson. When we got out of the vehicle and approached the, the crowd, there was about eight or ten Hispanic people uh, that were taunting him, yelling at him, uh, asking him to uh, hand over the papers to them so they could dispose of them. Oswald didn't leave with a black eye, but did get his punchline, a police record and public proof of his pro-Castro activities, the kind of resume an assassin would need to gain access into communist Cuba without raising any alarm. The police at the time were baffled by Oswald's insistence to be officially arrested for disturbing the peace. But it made perfect sense if his role that day was to create chaos as a CIA agent developing a cover story. We advised him that the booking procedure, which was a municipal uh, misdemeanor, that he was eligible for posting a bond of $25 in cash or getting a politician to uh, parole him. Uh, he said he did, did not want either. He wanted to go to jail. He insisted almost that we fingerprint and photograph him. He seemed to want to uh, let everyone know who he was and what he was doing. Oswald's deception was elaborate yet imperfect. The very pamphlets he used to sell the story of being a communist sympathizer also left a paper trail leading back to the headquarters of his handler. The leaflet that Oswald hands out on Canal Street is um, pro-Castro leaflets and the, the return addresses that are stamped on it is 544 Camp Street. Why was Lee carrying on this sham? The cover story he appeared to be developing could get him into Cuba, and the people he was surrounded by could plot a high-profile murder. But Lee was just one man, and the CIA had already tried and failed to take out Fidel by force. Cuban revolutionary troops such as these have invaded Castro's leftist island fortress, reportedly rallied by a mysterious coded radio message. Alert. They would need something more covert, something that wouldn't leave any fingerprints. What they really wanted was an assassination that looked like a natural death. And their breakthrough came from a young girl, Judith Very Baker, a prodigy who looked nothing like a killer. And as for Lee, his job was to protect the prodigy and the prize. When you were in New, in New Orleans in the summer of 1963, not only were you having a relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald at the time prior to the JFK assassination, but you were also involved in a 1960s version of gain-of-function research. This has been going on a lot longer than people realize. Right. Gain-of-function, we've been doing it at least since 19, about 1958 and you were you were to know nothing about that's the right. cia operation the the the, the bio weapon right the secret plot to kill fidel castro which is how they portrayed it to you these you yeah. know these, i was going to be involved in gain and function and but and you but it was going to be very it was going to be on the up for the most part um but what lee harvey oswald and david ferry and auctioner told you was that you are tasked with helping us create a bioweapon to be used for the assassination of Fidel Castro. That's exactly right. So this is now <clears throat> two, three weeks into your experience at New Orleans. This is where you're at and you're saying, wow. Oh, wow. You were an eyewitness to Dr. Mary Sherman's 
experiments, and her research. And it was pretty nasty work you had to do. It was pretty nasty work. You were essentially providing the samples that Dr. Mary Sherman needed to conduct her research. So that so that was kind of the clean part. She was she was clean. She was in, yeah. in, in you know in her laboratory conducting this this research, but they needed that dirty part to happen. That, we had a ring of labs, yeah. and the problem was also they had to break up that ring because they might connect and they figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. So David Ferry is out of that ring, and so we have a break in there so they can move. We say a ring of labs. There were yeah. different locations where there That's were right. mice and microscopes and and then of course we as you know we killed hundreds of monkeys and their goal was to make the cancer worse and worse and so that worse. they could develop a potent bioweapon for what they thought and they used to started kill with sv40 monkey yeah. virus yeah. and mutated it what we chose was pancreatic cancer you have to understand it used to be a lot rarer the pancreatic cancer was we took the most vicious uh forms of the pancreatic cancer. So you are now cutting off these tumors and you're preparing We're assessing, them. We you're killing the mice, cutting off the tumors. Say you have a hundred mice. Yeah. And three of them have tumors that are bigger than all the others. That's okay. the ones you go for. Okay. Essentially what they needed from you, they needed you, they needed you to grow tumors on mice. And then uh, assess them. We already assess, had, we're, they okay. were growing like crazy already. All right, so you yeah. had all of these mice and these are where the crazy stories of David Ferry and his apartment and his lab come in. I wanted Judith to take me to David Ferry's apartments, where the CIA team was secretly trying to produce this cancer weapon. I wanted to get a feel of the neighborhood, where these houses of horror were hidden, and even possibly go inside where Judith was performing the gain-of-function experiments. But first, it's important that I lay out the players involved in this covert operation to assassinate Fidel Castro with a biological weapon. The ringleader in this operation appears to be Dr. Alton Ochsner, the president of the American Cancer Society. It was Dr. Ochsner who provided the staff, the labs, and the facilities, including the very rare and expensive Linear Particle Accelerator, a cutting-edge machine at the time so top secret that it had to be guarded by U.S. Marines. Dr. Ochsner was a cold and calculating man and nothing demonstrated this more than his decision to use his own grandchildren as guinea pigs for the polio shot. This ultimately resulted in the death of his grandson eight days later and the paralysis of his granddaughter. Dr. Ochsner extended his influence outside of his clinic by providing VIP healthcare to the fascist dictators of Latin America whose power and profits were threatened by the rise of communism. We uncovered a file from the FBI which confirms that J. Edgar Hoover himself ordered the investigation into the New Orleans doctor. Was this the beginning of his alliance with the alphabet agencies? Ochsner was a part of an offshoot from Operation Paperclip called Loyalty of Government Employees, which vetted whether federal employees were secret communists. The report shows that Ochsner was investigated and found to be useful for future operations. The report shows that Ochsner made many trips to South America and even to Cuba in 1948, four years before the communist revolution. Through another organization, INCA, the Information Council of the Americas, Dr. Ochsner produced and distributed anti-communist propaganda. These are officials of INCA, the Information Council of the Americas, an organization which, through its truth tapes and film productions, reaches millions of people in the hemisphere. He also filled the airwaves of Latin America with anti-communist messaging and back home even produced a record starring Lee Harvey Oswald titled Oswald, Self-Portrait in Red, featuring a menacing sketch of Oswald in the ominous quote, I am a Marxist. Dr. Ochsner was so proud of this record that he put his own face on the back cover. We have been investigated from uh, several points of view, that is, points of view of uh, taxes, allegiance, aversion, and so forth. The findings uh, have been, as I say, absolutely zero. He also founded several anti-communist organizations, such as the International Trademark. New Orleans and the new International Trademark was opened by the mayor of St. Louis. 
where he would join forces with Clay Shaw, a wealthy New Orleans businessman who would later be the only person officially indicted in the murder of JFK four years later. You have never yourself had any CIA connection? None whatsoever. Any association with the organization? No. At all? Did you yourself ever know Oswald or David Ferry? Never knew, never knew either one of them, no. You never even saw them or no. came into contact with them in no, any indeed. way? Why is this reporter asking about Clay's connection to the CIA, David Ferry, and Oswald? Could they possibly all have been working on a CIA clandestine operation in the summer of 1963? And I can't remember his name, but Oswald was with him. But he had something to do with money, because Bannister, you know, you never kiss anybody's ass. Ooh, he kissed his. Remember the hands-off Cuba flyer which Oswald was passing out with the address 544 Camp Street? That address was the exact address of the PI firm run by Guy Bannister. Oswald's sheep-dipping, his, his, his being portrayed as a communist was done out of Guy Bannister's office. So he was sheeped up for months as a communist by giving literature. Lee, hand this out today. This is your assignment. I came across the fact that Oswald, a private in the Marines, had taken a Russian examination. And I knew the privates did not take Russian examinations unless they were connected with intelligence. So that caused me to be curious about 544 Camp, which was the address stamped on one circular that he gave out one time before, obviously, Bannister told him, Lee, no more addresses. I saw him one time with a man by the name of Guy Bannister. And uh, what Guy's role was in all of this, I, I really don't know. Guy Bannister also had ties to the Chicago mob, which employed a man by the name of Jack Rubenstein. In 1963, the upstairs of this building was the Carousel Club, a burlesque house operated by Jack Ruby, a Dallas Utility Company employee who was then a part-time cab driver, said that during this period he once picked up Lee Harvey Oswald, David W. Ferry, and an unidentified older man and brought them to the club. At their request, I took the three men to the Carousel Club on Commerce Street in Dallas, Texas, and they left my cab. The Warren Commission, headed by Alan Dulles, said that Ferry and Lee Harvey Oswald also never knew each other. Well, I'm sure you've seen this. Perhaps you knew this man under another name. No, I never saw him before in my life. Well, that must have been mistaken information we got then. Yet, eyewitness testimony places both of them in a Civil Air Patrol unit in 1955, with Ferry as Oswald's instructor. This is uh, several cadets, including Oswald on the end in the white t-shirt, myself standing in front of him, and over here in the white t-shirt and the helmet is uh, Dave Ferry. So here's how it went down in the summer of 1963. In New Orleans, David Ferry was in charge of the Dirty Lab, where Judith would excavate the tumors from the mice. Ferry was also in charge of the mouse house, which would store the irradiated mice. Lee Harvey Oswald was in charge of Judith, making sure she got the mice tumors over to Dr. Mary Sherman. See, there was a ring of labs, and I don't know who those labs were, So, they, but the contact point was at Eli Lilly's. We started up the first step, that is to getting all the, the right stuff to, to be processed, and it's going to be zapped. Uh, the mice had already been subjected to radiation, they'd been injected, and now I'm looking at the ones and picking out the ones, and I'm checking the cancers to make sure they're the right cancers. The mice were it delivered to Ferry. That's where we processed the mice. That was the last step. We are now at what has been widely referred as the Mouse House. And this was apparently an entirely dedicated building to mice. And it was cared for by and associates. Also monkeys of, and everything. Like and that. monkeys. So mice, monkeys, and it was cared for and tended to by David Ferry, but along with some help. There uh, were some David boys. Ferry uh, actually had two 18 um, year olds uh, who were anti castro uh, Immigrants, probably illegal, 
and they were living here and taking care of the animals. And so let's walk a little bit. So this is where all of them, the, the mice and the monkeys were yes. stored. And you'll see that this door here, it's right here. This door, it might have someone. Just I, a I moment. prefer not to go in there. That looks kind of filthy. Well, it is. I just want you to see what's in here because this thing still smells bad. Ugh. It still smells it's, bad. It's filthy. So they would bring the mice and samples from the monkey, yeah. just a couple four doors well, it down. It started mice, 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 then it went to Marmoset. To David Ferry. One night we was over at Dave Ferry's place having a party. That was uh, sometime late in the summer of 63. There was about uh, nine to 10 people there. Cuban, you know, friends of Dave's been doing some stuff in the bush with him. Place was a mess, man. Dave's mind is a mess. There's all these mice cages all over because he's working on this cure for cancer. On this cure for cancer. As we stood outside Ferry's infamous apartment where Judith would excavate the tumors, by chance, the resident of the apartment came out to greet us and invited us in. Hey, if you let us in, I will tell you the story. Please come in. Okay, come on. Thank you. And so this is these are the stairs you would go up? Yep, absolutely. Wow. David Ferry was supremely anti Castro. Mm. Working with Guy Bannister and all these people that people need to know about it. It's very important yeah. to see them in the film JFK. And that's where you met Oswald for the first time. Yeah, strange guy. Dave introduced Really, why don't you uh, say little Leon Oswald? Hey, how you doing, man? Oh. Show you where the kitchen is. There's the bathroom. Let me tell so you about David the, Ferry's what was the purpose? Wait, wait, real quick, what was the purpose of you coming here? Were you, you said the materials were here? In the kitchen, that's what I want to show you. And what would you do here? Can you tell me exactly well, what you would do when you came in the door through the back way? They irradiate the mice, they inject them with this cancer material. Some of the mice get irradiated again to try and trigger. Then I had this big, it looks like a dome of glass. You put it down like this. You put petroleum jelly here, and it has a hole in it with two. You put the mice inside, and you pump in ether, and it kills them 50 at a time. So you would sacrifice the mice? Yeah. And then you've got these bodies, and you've got to take them. And this is where Dave would do a lot of this work. It's really disgusting, and Lee helped a lot, but I did it when I had to. You eviscerate them. You put only the big, the ones with the biggest Tumors. Tumors. The rest you're going to you throw out. They have to be thrown up the toilet or incinerated. We've talked about the, right. The, the so we pick out only the, maybe out of 50 mice at a time. We pick out 10. Pull out. I'm looking for a particular color of the tumor, and I cut that out and look under the microscope and make sure it's really came from pancreas. Because those are the most aggressive cancers. Yes, those are the most aggressive. So they isolate the pancreas. I can ID that. See, yeah. that, that takes training to ID that. Okay, that was your unique yeah. special yeah. Well, training. Well, that's one part. That had, yeah. Also, that I can handle this stuff without getting infected myself. So if you came in contact, if a layperson came in contact with these tumors, they could become infected. Oh, yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. It was contagious. It was contagious. Yeah. And that's what I say. I tried to tell people that Lee was wearing a mask and all that. If he helped me, it absolutely was. And they, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't comprehend. Okay, yeah. so Gloves, masks. Yeah. Everything. Get the best of the best. Now it's like shipping it back to Well, well she has no, to wait, wait, wait. Them. Here, here's the process. So I pull this out and make sure it's the right stuff. So then I'm going to chop that part of the tumor out. And I'll, I'll have that five or ten. We don't even care where the mice came from. Nothing anymore. None of that matters. You just want the worst, of the worst. Yeah. So it goes so fast compared to if you're doing real research. Mm -hmm. Because there are no. We're not using controls or anything. We're after this product. We called it the product. So there, we macerate this, chop it all up in pieces. We put it through a process with a, uh, we have this table, uh, it is a centrifuge, and like that. So all the fluid goes to the top, and the good stuff goes to the bottom. And then we're going to take that, I'm going to make test tubes, and going to set up so they can cell culture this. Whatever grows the fastest is what they're going to choose next time to inject into mice. So now that you have yeah, isolated the, the, the super cancerous cells, the yeah. product, as you call it, where would you go from there? Usually I would pick up the material and take it to Mary Sherman's. We drove to Mary Sherman's apartment where we talked to her lovely neighbor, Victoria, who lived next to her in 1963. 
you know, well, you come with a lot of detail. I mean, that's the thing. You know, part of you know my hope here was to to validate your testimony. No, you know, and I think we're getting a lot more detail from you on so many things than we've ever seen. Remember this moment because we'll circle back to this at the end of the story. Victoria would on occasion be handed a box from Lee, which she now believes contained the carcasses of dead mice. So the box, you didn't think there was anything nefarious because you assumed it's something to do with orchids or, or some type of, you know, having to do with his business as opposed to what you now suspect was either mice, cancerous mice, mice, or the materials, the tumors that uh, Judy described that they ground up and put into these vials. And gave it to Dr. Mary Sherman. The clean side of the operation was led by Dr. Mary Sherman. Dr. Ochsner offered her a dream job, unlimited funding to cure cancer, a rare cause of death at this time. Shortly after her move, a cancer scandal erupted involving Dr. Ochsner. NIH researcher Dr. Bernice Eddy discovered that hundreds of millions of doses of the polio vaccine were contaminated with a cancer accelerant called SV40. SV40, also known as Simeon Virus 40, was one of 39 viruses discovered in the kidneys of the monkeys being butchered for scientific research. Even after this bombshell admission, SV40 had been added to other vaccines, including recently the COVID-19 shots. Dr. Leonard Hayflick doesn't mince words. SV40 has the alarming capability not only of producing tumors in the cheek pouch of hamsters, but worst of all, when introduced into cell cultures of human cells, 
frequently causes them to transform into cell lines or cancer cells. Obviously, very uh, obvious, probably the worst calamity you can think of. Furthermore, by this time in the early 60s, the Salk vaccine had been approved and widely used. Sabin's vaccine, I believe, was just uh, also being used in many countries, including the U.S. And it was easy to learn that several million people worldwide had received those vaccines that contained at no extra cost SV40 virus. Instead of doing the humane thing and stopping all vaccine production, Dr. Auctioner forged ahead and double-dipped. As Sherman and Auctioner presented themselves as world saviors for the cancer caused by the contaminated polio shots, they worked in the shadows to produce a Castro cancer cocktail using the CIA's Linear Particle Accelerator. Ironically, the machine Dr. Sherman was assigned to use would later be used to silence her. So we're in August of 1963, and you have now become uncomfortable with the project you're involved with. The experiment worked. They, they found um, you created this very fast, moving it essentially bioweapon. And you talk about how it was, they tested it in a human. In I'm Orleans. outraged. You're outraged because you have now been told that you are going to inject this uh, turbo cancer into an unwitting prisoner who is healthy. You confront Ochsner, Ochsner and, All and right. then everything falls apart. I realize that they're going to go and inject a prisoner who is healthy. Mm. So I wrote a note. Excuse me, I'm a little emotional right oh, now. Sorry. All right, so I go to Dr. Oxner's clinic. I had a note and the note said, it's unethical to go in and, you know, give a disease to someone that can kill them yeah. without their knowledge. Basically, that's what it said. Yeah. And I hand it to her and it's in an envelope, it's not sealed. She says, is it urgent? I said, yes. The monster opened it up and read it on the intercom. It is unethical, uh, Dr. Oxner, it is unethical. And so that I got out of I got the hell out of there. Yeah. yeah. Did he confront you? Did you ever have a? Did, was Are you kidding? Con- I went straight to Dr. Sherman's. I sat on. I sat crying because I knew I was in, in big trouble. The phone rings and it's him and he's screaming at me. There is never to be anything written down. No paper trail. He said, "Your life is over. Can't get rid of you just yet because he still needed you." The blood test. And so you needed to conduct a blood test on this prisoner. And that resulted in a trip between you and Lee Harvey Oswald, and you went to Jackson. It's the Jackson Mental Hospital. The Jackson Mental Hospital. Right. It was Lee Harvey Oswald. That's right. It was David Ferry. That's right. And it was Clay Shaw. To strengthen Judith's story, we found an old interview with a barber in Jackson who remembers a conversation with Lee Harvey Oswald and two others, presumably David Ferry and Clay Shaw, a mere three months before the trio would go back and administer the cancer virus into patients at that hospital. It was late afternoon, traffic was slow, and all of a sudden this stranger walks in the door. How about a haircut? I said, fine, I got up. He sat down, and we started chatting, and he said, I said, how you doing? He said, fine. He says, uh... Do you know, he says, I'm looking for a job. And he says, uh, do you know anything about it? you know any place where I can get a job? I said, the only place we have is East Louisiana State Hospital. He was, he jumped when I said, it was a mental institution. He really, he just jumped like that. And he says, uh, do they have all kind of jobs there? Like electricians. He said things like you say would make you remember him. That was, that was my distinct impression. And, uh, he just didn't need a haircut. I don't, I don't know what he was looking for. Months later, Oswald, Ferry, and Shaw returned to Jackson as they awaited the arrival of their test subjects from Angola State Penitentiary, who had been coerced with clemency. The trio would soon see if their weapon was ready for Castro. 
when you inject, you've got a cancer cell. You inject it to make it radioactive. When the cancer cell divides, then it's only half the radiation. Mm. If it divides again, it's only one quarter. Then it's you. You're not going to be able to. So two days it. after they injected, you needed to go and get the, the blood test. I, there was an absolute time limit. Yeah, and Lee took you. So you and Lee are together in a car. In a car, yeah. you're headed to Jackson yeah. to test whether or not this prisoner was going to die. I mean, I have was, to go and observe. And I saw the man. They wouldn't let me talk to him. I'm able to observe him through the window. Oh. And they've got him. It was awful. They had him tied down. He was thrashing. He was. You see, when you're injected with something like this, he had a horrible high fever and everything. Oh. You can imagine. And the poor man is in there dying. And then I got to look at the blood, and and I、uh, and I had the Geiger counter and everything, a special Geiger counter, and、uh, obviously the, the, he wasn't able to get the stuff out of his system. It was going to kill him.、Mm. And I've got to, not only that, but I see there are a lot more blood samples. They can't have all come from him. They lied to me too. They had injected I don't know how, probably six or seven more people. We were supposed to only、yeah. use this on Castro. Yeah. Well, that turned out to be a lie, and I'm angry. And upset about it, I will never get over it. In 1975, during the U.S. Senate Church Committee hearings, the CIA admitted to using weapons to cause heart attacks and cancer. In 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald had orders to head to Cuba via Mexico to deliver the cancer weapon intended for Castro. And the dart itself, when it strikes the the, the、uh, target. Um, does the、uh, target know that he's about that he's been hit and about to die? That depends, Mr. Chairman, on the particular dart used. There are different kinds of these flechettes、uh, that were used in in、uh, various weapon systems, and a special one was developed, which potentially would be able to、uh, enter the target without perception. Fearing for her life, Judith fled home to Florida, but kept in contact with Oswald up until the week of the assassination of JFK. Oswald moved ahead with the Castro cancer mission and was seen by two eyewitnesses on a bus to Mexico. He、uh, heard us speaking English and wanted to talk to us,、um, and so we talked about our travels. And、uh, he he told us that he'd been to Russia. He went then and got his passport and showed us the Russian stamp on his passport. Upon arriving in Mexico City, Oswald checked in at the Cuban embassy and tried to use his communist cover story to secure a visa to Havana. He was traveling with all his papers that、uh, demonstrate that he was.、Uh, A friend of the Cuban Revolution, and he showed me his card belonging to the to the fair play for Cuba. Oswald also visited the Russian embassy and met with three undercover KGB agents. During our talk, Oswald kept feeling in his pockets, taking out all sorts of papers. Then he took out a gun and put it in front of him. I sat opposite him. I took the gun away and put it on Pavel's desk. Pavel Antonovich asked him, "Why did you come here with a gun? What do you need a gun for?" He said, "I'm afraid of the FBI. I'm being persecuted. I need a gun to protect myself." Despite clear evidence proving otherwise, the U.S. government's official story is that Lee Harvey Oswald was never in Mexico. The day after the assassination, in the Mexican newspapers, was a photo of Oswald, and、uh, I said to my husband, "I'm sure that this is the man who went to ask for a visa." So I went to the embassy and I look up the applications, and I saw. His application, and it was the same one. The Cuban and Russian embassies in Mexico were among the most surveilled locations in the world at that time, and the CIA officially had a team stationed outside of both to photograph everyone who went inside. It's my recollection that at the time of Oswald's presence in Mexico City, there was something wrong with some of the cameras that we were using. We were trying to fix it. 
But the fact remains that there are no photographs of Lee Harvey Oswald taken while he was in Mexico City at that time, and I can't explain 100% why not. CIA agents also told investigators they did indeed take photos of Oswald outside the embassy, despite the CIA director's claim of a broken camera. There were several former CIA officers who said that there had been such a photograph. One of them said that he'd seen it and described it in detail, a profile shot of Oswald at the gate, another one taken from behind as he went in. The CIA's top brass still stuck with the narrative that Oswald was never in Mexico. We obtained from the Cuban uh, officials uh, the visa application with his photograph on it and his signature. We verified that it was Oswald's signature. Oswald, therefore, was in Mexico City. If you needed further proof of a cover-up, look no further than the CIA director literally calling into question one of his station chiefs. That's fine for Winscott to say, but he has no evidence to demonstrate it. And he couldn't produce the photograph. So what is he talking about? Oswald was denied a visa, and the plan never came to fruition. The next step would be the cleanup operation and silencing all those involved. hidden in the uh, arm. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You'll excuse the fact that I'm out of breath, but about 10 or 15 minutes ago, a tragic thing from all indications at this point has happened in the city of Dallas. The president's car is now turning onto Elm Street, and it will be only a matter of minutes before he arrives at the trademark. From the AP bulletin, uh, Kennedy apparently shot in head In the world of spies and lies, very few retire old. I didn't shoot anybody, no sir. I'm just a patsy. Every operation has a cleanup. I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. The influential and powerful survive. Those who got their hands dirty become a liability for those who called the shots. In New Orleans, five of the seven primary players were eliminated, all under mysterious circumstances. First to die was Lee Harvey Oswald. He's been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. Jack Ruby shot him in the abdomen at point-blank range with a Colt Cobra 38. Jack Ruby is taken in to hear the verdict in his trial for the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. Ruby would suffer a similar fate, but with a different shot, one administered to him in prison. Judith and the Cancer Kill Team might not have been successful with the Castro mission, but she did get vengeance for her lover. At this time, the source of the tumor is unknown. I believe that Jack Ruby, I think it was divine justice that he ends up being uh, uh, eliminated by something that was meant to kill the enemies of the state. And to me, he was an enemy of the state. He killed a man who was trying to save Kennedy's life. It was my lover and he got what he deserved. People have, that have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting me in a position I'm in. We'll never let the true facts come above our to the, to the world. Jack Ruby died from pancreatic cancer while being held for retrial. The autopsy findings uh, showed uh, extensive tumor involvement of tumor, T-U-M-O-R, involvement of uh, both of the lungs. There are also metastases in the regional lymph nodes draining the lungs as well as tumor had traveled to the liver. It developed suddenly and spread rapidly to his brain and liver. A month prior, Jack Ruby spent almost every day of December being x-rayed from head to toe. His medical records show he was zapped more than 500 times, so much so he experienced radiation poisoning. Soon after, Jack Ruby was hospitalized with pneumonia and then injected with a mysterious liquid supposedly meant to help him fight the flu. 
Jack Ruby told Dallas Deputy Sheriff Al Maddox that it wasn't medicine but cancer cells that were injected into him and that he was being silenced for his role in a conspiracy. What the hell kind of a needle is that? Shit, I got a flu. I don't need any shot. Just relax, Mr. Ruby. This will calm you down, clear all this up. Heck, I'm telling you, I don't need or want no shot. Clay Shaw, the money man, also died of cancer. No autopsy was conducted. No further questions asked. CIA Director Richard Helms confirmed after Shaw's death that he had officially worked with the CIA. According to Jim Garrison, the next to fall was the most important person in the conspiracy. Guy Bannister. When the president ends up being assassinated and the scapegoat grabbed by the federal government and killed before anything can be done to help him, turns out to be the man that Guy Bannister has been the tutor of all the time. You have to conclude that Guy Bannister was a key man in the assassination and possibly the most important man uh, that we encountered in our whole investigation. The next that had to go was David Ferry, who was found dead where thousands of mice had been sacrificed before him. Ferry was found dead in his bed, naked, staring ominously at the ceiling. Officially, his brain ruptured from an aneurysm. Coroner Frank Minyard found mysterious bruising inside Ferry's mouth, indicating someone may have tried to force pills down his throat. All less than a week after news broke of Jim Garrison's investigation, which would have undoubtedly led to Ferry's den of mice and sin. The fact is, he's gone, Chief, and so is our case. Easily the most gruesome and goriest of the deaths, and the only one officially classified as a murder, Dr. Mary's charred remains were found by police under a smoldering mattress on the day before she was expected to testify to the Warren Commission. Her right arm was completely burnt off, her right ribcage missing, and her organs exposed from waist to shoulder. Officially, her cause of death was homicide from a surgically placed stab wound to the heart. The apartment was untouched by fire, showing that Dr. Mary had been burned elsewhere and then brought to the apartment to stage a crime scene. Even her body didn't make sense. Heart was burnt to a crisp, but hair right next to the exposed organs was unsinged. Only an intense and acute flame could accomplish this, something the linear particle accelerator she was using would do if sabotaged. The door to her apartment was not forced open, showing whoever did the deed had a key. Within two weeks, the murder investigation had been shut down. And Dr. Auctioner, the man that headhunted her, joked to staff, you better have a good alibi. As Judith sat on the same bench that she and her lover shared 60 years ago, she is reminded about what could have been. With the waves of the mighty Mississippi courting the midnight sky overlooking New Orleans, Judith listened to that song, Lee and Her Fell in Love To, reminiscing about the life that died that day in Dallas. Wish I had died with him. I do. And then nobody would know who it was. I'll tell you the, the one thing, the big, the big thing to take away from me. Maybe we didn't have something that lasted a long, long time, but it's been enough for me for a lifetime.
Wow. Yes, definitely one crazy episode there. Yes, thank you for tuning in to The Ugly Truth there. We are going to open up the comments and ask you to tell us what you think about that. <clears throat> all of those different conspiracy theories all coming together from the surprise that Lee Harvey Oswald was not hired to kill the president. He was there to protect the president. <laughs> Pretty strange. But when the failed operation of killing Castro happened, it was lights out. For six of the seven, and probably the most surprising, the most significant thing that we saw in there was the DEW tie. A linear particle accelerator is the description of a direct energy weapon. The poor doctor succumbed to the first death by DEW. We're so sorry to report all these ties together. But it's the ugly truth. It's hard to listen to, but impossible to ignore. Let's close on out and finish up the ugly truth here. And then we'll get on into our last segment, which will be Faith Matters. So we'll close on out here with the ugly truth. And thank you for listening to the ugly truth because they can't stop us because we're ready to fight trying to brainwash us but we won't let freedom die the whole world's brainwashed everybody pick a team start a riot in the streets the whole world's brainwashed it's us against them and ain't you against me the ugly truth hard to listen to but impossible to ignore <laughs>